If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Anna O'Keffel. Anna's been here before and she's been on 167 and 221 and is going to talk to us today about 10 ways to use the lesson time more effectively. And she talked about this a little while ago, this time it's for the more experienced or advanced rider. And she's going to talk about it from the coach's point of view as well as from the rider's point of view. How are you, Anna? I'm well this morning, Glenys, and the sun is shining. (laughs) Good to talk to you again, Anna. So I'm sure that we're going to um, get a lot from your knowledge you're going to put into this because you're a coach and a rider, competitor. You're doing a judge. You're doing everything. So let's get started. What's number one? Now, number one is preparation. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of it is based on preparation because even that's a comment I've remembered From George Morris and even from way back when I look at some of my notes, it's preparation and preparation. And I still find that when I'm restarting horses that have difficulties now, it's how you prepare before your event or before your ride with that in view that has a great effect on how that ride is going to be. And I feel on that point, the rider is coming with their horse They're going to put in time, effort, and money Mm -hmm. to do this thing. And with that in view, they want, of course, I would, and competitively wise as well, they're after the best results from the session or the competition. And one of the basic requirements, I feel, is a calm frame of mind, which will enable you and the horse to be efficient and maximise whatever you want to achieve, be it introducing the young horse to strange surroundings, competing in a higher-level test where there's more tension and demand, etc. Now, step number one is to allow, to my mind, is to give yourself plenty of time so that you are calm and clear in your mind when you arrive and that both of you can then adjust to the surroundings and the demands that you are going to uh, have to cope with as you go along. If you arrive in a flap and things I do understand can happen anyway, then uh, that tension transfers to the horse, etc. And again, you don't quite have the clarity and calmness that I think are most effective. Okay, okay, good. Good. And then that preparation, so for um, a competition, obviously you've got to arrive a bit earlier. For a lesson in a strange surroundings with a young horse, how soon before? And for a competition, how soon before? Just to give people a bit of an idea of the time that it generally takes to settle the horse down. Well, I think actually if you're fairly confident with the situation, you need to allow at least an hour. Personally, I like two hours. Mm-hmm. because it just gives you that edge if something goes, so to speak, wrong, because what you, what, even still going out to competitions, etc., what happened last time is not necessarily what happens next time. An instance of that being in qualifying um, for the state championships at SIAC, suddenly the parking was totally changed. And we weren't really informed. We had to arrive and cope with the situation. And where I thought I had three hours of preparation with a green horse, yes. um, I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. I had to go like the clappers to adjust, to walk a long distance, even to find the parking. And I think that sort of thing is something that if you're coming for a lesson, of course, you may or may not know the place. You may think you know what your horse's reactions are going to be. And so often I hear the comment, 
He's not like this at home, you know? Yes. Even more advanced writers will say that. And often, too, the person coming for their session has got issues and then with the horse, which is what they've arrived for, and then um, they need to be, and as they'll be nervous to a degree, wondering how things are going to go. And those things do affect how you're going to cope. Then we come to warm-up, and to my mind, the warm-up includes familiarising the horse. So, like, as you pointed out, a young one, a green one, needs to have a look. If he's never been in an indoor and the session is in an indoor, they need to have a look so that you're aware where uh, the difficulties possibly are going to arise uh, with the session. And in that way... You're prepared to make the most of the time or the the test that you're going to actually be doing. And uh, sometimes warm-up is included. People want help with warm-up, even advanced riders having this problem, how much do we prepare, which exercises should I use, etc. And uh, some of that warm-up is very important and that sometimes some of it is included in the actual session mm-hmm. by request or needs to be. And uh, they still, um, generally, it is up to you, you know, to lead the horse around. There might be bush in a certain place and he worries about birds flying up, etc. Yep. So yep. again, to allow yourself effectiveness and best use of time. I suppose that brings us on then to number three, you know, because you said that some riders like to have the warm-up, they like to talk about the warm-up within the session. And from the coach's point of view is to discuss, and from the rider's point of view, the rider to discuss with the coach, coach to discuss with the rider is what they want from the session. You know, what's the plan? If they're coming for a lesson, what's the actual plan? From the person that's paying and from the person that's teaching point of view, what does the rider think, but what does the coach think? Would you be able to talk about that? Yes. Yeah. It depends a little bit, too, on whether it's a rider who's been before mm-hmm. or a person who is new. And then uh, the fact that they don't know you and how you teach, etc. that also will have an effect on their responses. So I feel... And even lately, I have a couple of people who've been coming for quite a while and it is still necessary, I find, to speak to them, ask them that very question, what they are after from this particular session, and then you get a starting point. Okay. You get uh, to know the rider and each time, it's like riding the horse. One day, it's fantastic, (laughs) everything coming along, then the challenges. Um, I don't consider them problems. They're the challenges of, well, very similar to life, really. Yep. You think it's going to be like this, it's going to be a great day. And, um, you know, the, even the most experienced and best of trainers just say to you, not today. You know, you have a day when horse just doesn't happen or what you expect to happen doesn't happen and you need to go right back to base. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, and with the new rider too, it relaxes them. They feel then that they have some communication and connection with you. Yes. And you can quite quickly, uh, once you're experienced, assess uh, where you think the best place is going to be for this person to help them with their questions and issues. Okay, okay. Now, this would bring us on to number four about specific issues. What sort of specific issues would a rider bring to a coach? Normally, riders are, and this is even with people whom I've been teaching for a while, they become very, how would you put it, very honed in on one point, and it's usually a movement. Mm-hmm. Or if it happens to be with their own riding and they have under some understanding of position and feel, etc., again, they tend to hone in on one specific point. And that is a problem because it is not the actual point, which is usually the issue. It is more the basic points, because I think I come to that later on. 
how it is a progression, even whether you're barrel racing, whether you're generally riding, um, you know, cross country, whatever you're doing, it comes down to the basics of initially walk, trot and canter, initially and at the end. It's all about the paces. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. it's about these basics that everybody pays homage to. A lot of people do know, uh, can actually word them, but actually understanding them uh, effectively is another thing altogether. And then some even very advanced writers have no idea of them because they don't actually understand the value of them and how necessary they are. And then the movements that everybody is after, and this is the issue with those who are highly competitive because they see their riding as test riding and whether or not you can win that test. And you, as a trainer, you've got to understand that that is where they're coming from. Whether you are or not is a little bit beside the point. But to help a person like that, you approach it differently. To helping the person who's perhaps more open and says, look, I'm having trouble with my 20-metre circles keeping the shape. So then you can go back to, first of all, you need, a, you know, if you want to do it in the walk, you need a correct walk. This is a correct walk. And it doesn't take long because then you, and you have interaction. They can interact with you, ask the question, is this the right field? Then your response can be, needs to be a bit more forward, etc. Then you can come to the understanding of forward. Well, a lot of people, the event, etc., I'm guilty of this one, um, they go too fast and that's not forward. That is, uh, you know, if a horse is really resisting, yeah, you go in any old way, but you've got to go. But then, of course, you've got to start to refine it. And forward is active and with energy uh, in balance. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that is the differentiation. Then you might spend that lesson, um, or what I've and I have done that, spent that lesson, uh, feel, writing is feel. Basically and forever, but you've got to understand the feel that you're having. And it's quite interesting because then we would be spending the session on finding the balance with the more advanced person. It's not usually restricted to just the walk. It can be with a less experienced rider, but the more advanced, experienced person usually takes things on board more quickly. And then that issue of forward and balance you can bring into the walk, trot and canter, perhaps, depending on time, yep. and then um, put that on their circle issue uh, with understanding of the age, etc. And they've got what they needed, which is a correct, more correct circle. And in order to continue to improve that correctness that they're after, they've then got that to take away, Okay, which is... You know what's going to happen. Yes, mm. yes. So they can use that then to deal with their specific issue and train on. Yes, yes. Talk to us a little bit about demonstrations. You know, when should the coach get on to demonstrate? When are there other riders that they can look at to demonstrate what's going to be taught? Would you be able to talk a bit? That's number five about demonstrating. Yep. Yes, because as I said, I've gone through. I've had quite a bit of interaction with different riders. Visualisation is um, a great thing, which is why if if you have that sort of interest, you go to as many things as possible to watch horses and to watch riders and how they do things. And riders, when I have ridden myself on a separate horse, they've been on theirs, uh, on their own or on one of the school horses, they have commented on how valuable they found it to be able to see what they actually were after. As far as actually getting on their own horse, that some riders are very much against that, particularly in the beginning. And as a coach, you've got to be a bit careful too because some horses are quite reactive or have quite severe issues. Uh, Then you are putting yourself in in a difficult situation. 
And I think that is more of a schooling situation, which, again, you can discuss with the rider if uh, that is what they're after. And then having them, the other alternative is also, which is I have found quite helpful, many riders, whether they're experienced or less experienced, less experienced don't think of it so much, but the more experienced are often quite convinced that they're the only ones having this great difficulty, particularly if they're a bit what we call stable-bound, they work at home or only go to specific competitions, and they feel they're the only ones with this issue, et cetera, et cetera. They then also find by um, watching a couple of riders uh, that can be work, just even working their horses at the same time, they will see that these riders are having issues as well. That, you know, we need more bend in this corner. I've got to do this and this. I found that very effective because I can call out to a rider schooling, look, you need to uh, rebalance the horse before you start the corner because he's running through the corner, etc. And that basically a lot of issues are the same Yes. for all riders. You just have more advanced levels of the issue or more basic levels of the issue, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, whether it's a green horse or one that is much more advanced and now has um, training difficulties in that he's also there you're faced with more problem because he's got to forget, in inverted commas, they never really forget, but he has to leave behind what he's been used to doing and replace it. They call it rewiring, I think, in the human condition. Mm-hmm. And yes. anything alive, whether we like it or not, we are animals. And the rewiring process applies just as much to the horses. And both riders and horses are frightened, afraid of changing their pattern because it's more comfortable to do what you've always done. That's just a known fact and has also... I've listened to somebody who commented on that, that they uh, she had a friend who had a horse that would go, you know, was quite unpredictable, not easy to ride. Then she'd bought a young horse, and this person was a trainer, and she said, I rode the young horse, the young horse with it. We had some success. It was a very quiet horse, a very good horse. Yep. I saw it in operation, and it was. And she said to her, look, how about you ride this one? It's very quiet. And then I can ride your other one and da-da-da-da-da. And she said, no, no, I know this one. I'm too worried to get on that one. (laughs) So, you know, there are all sorts of perspectives. And um, those sorts of things, I think, can be a bit – they can get in your way. But it's all par for the course. Really, yep, yep, that's yep. how things operate. Mm. It's worry of the unknown, isn't it? You know, we don't like change because we don't like to know what's unknown. It's it could be could be yes. better, could, could be worse. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there was a, a very good. Um, they had a Mustang. Uh, somebody in Germany, or she was in America at the time, and um, uh, they did a commentary, and it was fairly American through this video they took, and he made the point, and I was fascinated by that because you always go on and learn. Mm. You just keep, if you you know, I think that's, I love all that. I very much enjoy that. You add to what you've already got. Yes. And he said, we're more afraid of the empowerment in what we can do than we are of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. And as you've just pointed out, I think that's what happens. We go into the unknown and we go into feelings that we've not really had before and that is frightening. So it's a fright flight thing, isn't it? So yes. back we go and say, well, <laughs> I like it like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this feels nice. It's just natural. And sure. then that's where, you know, if you are going to make progress, you need to be, that was another quote by somebody, uh, the, the most successful people uh, enjoy being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a point as well. Is it enjoy it or just are prepared to be uncomfortable? No, you know what? I like it. Okay, okay. I actually like personally looking at myself because I'm in the 
you know, we're all in the same boat, even yep. the top trainer people whom you speak to, and I understand German sometimes, <laughs> and they sometimes go into things very practical, very with it, more advanced, if you wish to make a, a point like that, than we are, because it's all development, you know? Yep. Yep. But they still have or their challenges, which is what keeps them improving, whether they're, you know, in their 60s, some of them are, and further than that. But they're already, you know, they're really advanced in what they're doing and their own improvements. But they have their problems. And that's what uh, I always loved the cross country. Never went to the higher level because things changed in life, etc. But I loved the cross country because of that adrenaline run. Oh, definitely. And I find yep. that even now, I love, it's always, I'm always in overdrive, which is why I do dressage tests too fast. <laughs> <laughs> or can, you know, those habits can come back. And that's the other thing I think. You develop a sense of humor. Yep. And all these people do have that too. Okay. But no, you do learn, unless you're being, perhaps a better way to put it is, we're not going into the overdrive of fear, but um, I think that possibly it's having that challenge. You've got to feel challenged okay. in what you're doing. Yep. Um, and to adjust to that, to get into the panic zone is not a good idea. But again, you know, for average, that is not where you want to spend your life. But at the same time, you need the other side of the coin. And for people with difficult horse, any horse really can suddenly take off or something like that. And then people actually, I feel, who can get to that level need to be able and need to learn how to deal with panic. It is holding up one of my riders at the moment. As soon as it gets, she's very capable, very good, improved a lot, but as soon as a situation gets beyond her, she uh, goes back. Anna, I think that's a great idea. We should talk about 10 life skills for horse riding competitors in our next session, I think, because I think we could be talking about life skills in this all day because you're very knowledgeable in that area. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. And that also, Glennis, is the way the world has gone. And now they're all into this um, positiveness and stuff. But then, the shame of it is, and we can, as you say, do it in another session, mm. they then, again, simply draw it into their own um, responses and this is fine and this is what I understand. No, I'm not going to really come out there now and really <laughs> justify this. Yeah, da, 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 yeah. Da. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, meanwhile, we'll, we'll go back to our uh, point number six, which, you know, I know that you want to talk about the importance of walk in regard to horsemanship and the welfare of the horse. So if we can sort of bring it back to number six, that'd be great. You want to talk yes. about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, I think that is a problem or issue that I find myself when I'm being trained by a trainer and the ones from. Uh, Trainers can get a bit carried away and even, how would I put it, it was a very strong point in Germany when I went to the forums and Gerd mm-hmm. Heuschmann was very mm-hmm. strong and gave lectures at the different forums. I saw him three times and he too was very much into the welfare of the horse, the mechanics of how a horse actually works, etc soundness of mind and soundness of the horse itself. It's also well known in um, sports circles. It again, most of these things don't just apply to horses and riding. Now, the rider too has to come back to a walk because it is for the welfare of the horse and good horsemanship in that there is lactic acid buildup. If you work hard or you make tremendous effort, and that's what's going to happen in a training session, whether it's the rider or the horse, and of course in this instance it's the combination, you might be really working on canter, lengthening, shortening, half of the preparations for the half pass. Then you might do some half pass. Then what unfortunately usually happens is, uh, yes, we've got to go back to something easier but you're still pushing, 
trot, you might go say trot serpentines um, with changes of bend, making them shorter, shorter, so that you're getting to the six, seven serpentines to fit in. This may be an easier exercise for the horse, but it's still extremely demanding. And you actually don't release any of the lactic acid. Once it builds up, it becomes painful. And riders feel that too without realising that's what they're feeling and it needs. Um, I think there is an exact timing, only a few minutes to walk so the lactic acid can be dispersed. The horse then also gets time to relax its mind. And it's not that you stop working altogether. In that walk, he's still got to stay active. He uh, still has to stay um, forward and listening in full stride, the natural things that happen uh, anyway, but he's not being pressurised. He's not working. It's good to take him off the track, etc. So the walk is important. And then for the test riders and etc., even higher up, walk has a double mark and there's a reason for it because walk is the reflection of your training. If the other paces are correct and your basics are correct, then the walk will be true and um, that will reflect the training. And it's for that reason that the mark is doubled in tests and quite often as a judge and an observing rider, etc., you see the walk even in the most beautiful horses because they have some quite extraordinary horses out there now. The walk is no good at all. And that should actually be an understanding that the judge has, but that's where judging can fall down on you as well. That's another point to actually also bring up with a rider to be very careful um, of judging their training through competition results because there are many variables in that situation. It's a limited one. There are many variables and you are very subject to a judge's understanding and uh, that is very varied as well. So apart from that, though, competition, uh, and I don't think you necessarily have to go out to be competitive. You can be at home, but somebody has to evaluate your performance so that you're not just zooming along thinking you're what because they use this your wonderful thing an awful lot these days and you can um, be inclined to uh, how would you put it to kid yourself a bit mm-hmm. you know it's not necessarily deliberate but of course you're emotionally involved you are whether you like it or not to a degree to a varying degree and you want things to work and just for the clarity of it I think you do need these eyes on the ground to say, hey, um, this is creeping in or that's creeping in. Because as I feel myself, I still, you know, I need a person. I still have to watch it a little bit with their knowledge, but absolutely super with watching my position because I had had a massive accident and balance is a problem and straightness. So it works very much on that. Mm. All right. So then, yeah, I think you should take the walk is most important for those reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know you're going on now to number seven, the importance of clarity and correctness of all the paces, talking about the training scale, movements used to accomplish the training scale. Would you like to just expand on that, talk about that a bit more? Yes, I think we've already covered that in – when I was discussing that circle to a degree. But this is something that I've found that it inhibits the rider's effectiveness. They tend to think of everything in the reverse. It's, you know, I'm having trouble with this movement. I'm having trouble with that, etc. And therefore, they're thinking about it backwards. Because the first thing, and this was really drummed into me over the years by very good, some very good trainers, and they will say that to you even now, the good the uh, good ones, um, show me your walk, trot, and canter. Okay. And yep. that's what they'll say. They can assess it straight away. Mm-hmm. And then you need to do that. Then they want to look at your transitions. Then usually they don't want to see your flowing change, et cetera, and I understand that. 
because you can already look at a person that can't. It's no good practicing your change again and again and again because, yeah, a horse will learn repetition. But if he's doing that change poorly, all you're doing is repeating uh, that way of doing it, which will then continue because it won't develop the necessary muscle, etc. Then what is usually looked at will perhaps take that canter um, and the change as an instance. You improve the canter, which is a lot of forward and back, go forward, come under. And the back, you've got to watch that very word because that's exactly what happens. They shorten the canter instead of engaging the canter. Uh, into a forward uphill way, which will then enable the change to become connected and go through and show some expression in due course. Um, so it, you know, it becomes a very fine line in mm-hmm. the end. And uh, one of the top, I think even Carl Hester mentions that, uh, the different, tra- he did forward and back, it's a constant then. And there are different levels of forward and back. You might want, you know, initially with a horse, especially if the canter is quite poor, you can only get a little bit because that's all he can do with his muscles. Yep. So you get your six inches. That also, riders then want a lot. You know, it's a natural human reaction. You know, it's got to be this much. Well, horse can't cope. Horse becomes frightened, does his best to um, adjust because, of course, he's going to do that. Uh, whereas, again, it's much better if you go a bit, come back, then you can try for, an, you know, only takes, if you can apply it and understand it, it just gradually takes the weeks and what was a foot is suddenly three feet. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. It's a development thing which riders sometimes find difficult to understand and takes time. It yep. does take time to develop the knowledge, um, the theory, as well as the actual practice. Okay, good, good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look, horsechats.com. Now, number eight here is working to the level of the combination. So can you talk about that and also talk about what a rider can do, you know, just to do with riding other horses, about development of feel? If you can expand on that, it would be brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Yes. Now, riding is feel. It's as basic as that because watching the various aspects, because that, again, um, is something that has disappeared a bit, and I do a a fair bit with it. Like Riders are no longer just ride. They tend to come and want this dressage in a rectangle, whereas I think it's um, very good. I have barrels set up, and we use those. You can develop your good barrel racing techniques. You're not going to become a barrel racer, but the fantastic stuff for pirouettes, whether okay. it's walk. You can, and then the canter one, the, well, that's very advanced. Or you can, see, you can widen the barrels. Get the barrels together because in Canterpillar and the advanced movements, it's not so much can you do the movement, well, it is and it isn't, but it's can you get out. And that's an emphasis in training all the time. Horses, and it happens a lot in the arena now, it gets quite dangerous too, um, the horse won't go out. Okay. And then he starts rearing, then he starts plunging. And that is, and I've again learned that from some very good trainers, automatically they say, now go out into your extension, uh, et cetera. And, again, in the beginning it might take you a little – again, you ask for a little bit, but ask for a little bit. And um, then, again, if with this coming from where the rider is at, well, that's the only thing you can do. Really, your job and the tricky bit is actually assessing where the rider is in respect to training of horses, actual knowledge. They can buy schoolmasters now, and they do. Can't really ride them, and uh, it's a bit unfortunate. There have been some very serious accidents with it. And then they sit on them, and they do the movement. But they don't have any understanding themselves of what they're really doing. It's become more prevalent because people, competitive people particularly, will spend a fortune on a horse 
And these horses have been brought to those levels, often fairly quickly. There's often some damage physically too, and then pain becomes an issue. Because in pain, then, of course, your fright flight thing starts to happen again. And the riders themselves are not up to the level of the horse. So you've got to find out where to actually come from relatively safely, but again with some progress and achievement of where they actually want to go, which is, you know, that's the welfare of the horse as well. And then as a coach has to have the skill because being German, I'm a bit <laughs> straight up and down. You know, I can cope with German really well. Yep. You just tell me, and I've had to say that to trainers because they've learned that's their job, that's their living, and they've learned how to get around people, which you have to, you know, that's using get around very loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, and adjusting, whereas when they do that to me, and I'm older now too, so they do little old legs to me. Now, hang on. Just tell me exactly what's happening. And I can say just as easily to you, that was shit. That was terrible, mm-hmm. you know. Can we go and try it again? What should I do to adjust it? Because I want to use my lesson effectively. You know, the payment is one thing. But again, time is valuable. Effort is valuable. So therefore, the next thing is to improve it. And in that respect, the interesting thing in training horses and people it's the number three. You do something three times, uh, improving it as you go, and then you don't want to do it a lot longer because it's all demanding. But it's on the three times, and I found that I'm fascinated by it, even training the dog and the cat, I'm fascinated by it all. Um, those three times, on that third time, You've confirmed it in inverted commas, not in the long term, but you've actually confirmed that movement within that session and then you must leave it okay. and go on to something else. And perhaps at the later, not too late because they get tired, you might come back to it. And it is amazing how it has processed. Just mm-hmm. fascinated by that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know earlier you did talk about the walk and the importance of the walk, but what have you got to say about the time required now for a proper cool down? Oh, there was just one point. If we can go back to yeah, for sure. just a minute. Yep. You said about the field and uh, riding other horses. I've got a person I've trained for a while. This is where mm. it came up. I discussed the fact that, you know, what does she feel so yep. that I yep. can make these things relevant to the actual situation. And she said... She's been riding one of mine. She's ridden mine on and off over time. Mm-hmm. And she says it's really good to be able to get on another horse, repeat the same thing, which will feel different, and then develop my field to where it actually has to be. And, you know, it certainly has improved her feel and also her own attitude towards it in understanding um it's a bit of the Chinese proverb. It's all basically about fetching water, carrying water. In the end, it's the repetition. And it certainly has expanded her uh, understandings of different things that were a problem to her. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yes. Now, number nine. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, cool down is very important and people tend to rush it. They finished the session, and the, I did do some inter, have some interaction with the carriage driving people. They were very interesting, and they had the champion, the junior champion from Holland, Europe, whatever. He came over to do some instructing. He was quite young, but very effective instructor. And what uh, one of their um, Stewards came down and they have to, they do the endurance driving. And she was fascinating because, and very clear. And she gave a session here on um, preparing the horse for the endurance, etc. And the cool down, she was absolutely strict about. And that is the natural human tendency. I've made a lot of effort. Now, 
I want to go home, I want to go on to other things. It actually is another thing that um, we can address in life skills too because it's very applicable to certain things there. And first of all, um, you would have to, you had to lead the horse. You had to actually get off that horse. You could put a rug over it, uh, especially if it was quite hot. A lot of them are unfit as well. This has to be taken into account. Uh, the fitness of the horse, and the cool down, you had to walk with the horse because in that way, the rider also has to cool down. Otherwise, you um, you know, they cheerfully say, I'm going to ache tomorrow. And that's because the lactic acid wasn't sufficiently removed the day before, which is quite interesting. Now, while you're walking with that horse, that... Um, that will happen to the rider as well. In the beginning of the cool down, you need to walk fairly fast and you need to keep walking because it needs to be gradual. Then uh, you can feel it. You can feel it in a horse. Again, the feel comes in. You can feel when he's ready and when he's right. And that, again, needs experience. Because at mine, I just send them out. I just say, no, not enough, goodbye, and then give them some, go around the stables, go do this, go do that. So they've got specific things to achieve. Then you can start letting the horse graze so that he's easing off and you also get a an idea of his mental state because the horse that's very tense and reschools are a lot like that. They get very tense because they've never actually been cooled out. You just hand it to a groom who wants to get rid of it, da-da-da-da-da, as quickly as possible. And they get very anxious, and you can be out there for 20 minutes or even more. You have to be out there for as long as it needs. Again, you have to approach it gradually with people. Then when they start eating and they're happy enough with it, uh, they'll eat. Other that once they, uh, if they're not right, they don't eat. So therefore, it takes time because they've built up their anxieties. Uh, once a horse reaches the levels that he needs, cool down is usually, what, 10 to 15 minutes. But you need to spend that time. And uh, this particular person, she wanted 20 minutes of whatever you were doing, uh, which was very interesting because it's important they go back to the stables or the paddock yard, etc. Many horses are confined um, in a relaxed frame of mind and with the muscles relaxed as well and not tense. If they're tense even, then they start, break out in sweats, etc. And many people just accept this, you know, oh well, he's tense, he does this, you know, he's an idiot, da-da-da-da-da, that's just him. Basically, yes, they have a character which you need to work out so that you can then apply the basic principles, etc. They're always the same. But again, you need the individual's character and approach to life in order to assess the best way to achieve the relaxation, etc. that you need. Because I have got six horses in work here, all different, and all at different levels of progress, different backgrounds, and one in particular, his character, they call it a hot horse, but he's just a horse that doesn't relax, he's, relax easily. He's a survivor. I don't think anything will ever get him, mm-hmm. but he has that tension. But even after time now, he has started to be much easier in life than he was, which is very interesting and quite rewarding too. Good, good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now say we've had the lesson, we've prepared, warmed up, we've talked to the coach with what we want. The coach yes. has started us off and, you know, insisted on the quality of the pace. They might have even jumped on the horse. We've talked about the walk, the clarity and correctness of all the paces and the work for the combination and then the cool down. What about time for a calm trip home? What can you say about that? Oh, yeah. I've had, over time, I've had two people who had to rush home. Yes. And we get put in that situation because the last competition I was at, 
And now in my mature state, uh, for want of better, I'm going to address these things. Yeah, um, yeah. You get put under pressure. Now, I'd been to the comp. We were supposed to be finished at 3.30, and I thought, good, let's view this as 4 o'clock. Mm. Plenty of time to drive home, do my animals, because I'm an older person now. My vision isn't as good, so I like to drive in the daylight. Yep. And with light, da-da-da-da-da. Had it all planned. Then, for some reason, which I will track down, it's an odd one, because they do do strange things to <laughs> people, the papers were held for this last test, and I needed the test. The test itself got a bit interesting. The little horse actually woke up, which was good, but he was showed those different fears, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we had to sit there. Well, these two judges, now as far as I knew, they were both judges on the list. So therefore, there was no reason to be interacting. And it was like having somebody there, and this may have been the case, because I, one of them I really didn't know, didn't know her, so I didn't even know what she looked like. And they were treating it as a, um, uh, as a person trying to get onto the list and talking about the test. Now, that went on till 5.30. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. And the horse I had was fascinating because the interschools were coming in. Dogs were loose. Everything was happening that shouldn't have been as well, but always does. He was He interested me because he was quite upset by it all. That much pressure, you know, it's not good for them. And and he's a quite, you know, he's a good little horse. Anyway, dealt with all that, got him on. Um, and thought, I've got to get home. Next thing, I get a phone call. One of your horses, because somebody came in to um, ride a horse that they have here, uh, one of my, that they lease, and uh, one of mine had actually had a serious injury. She'd um, cut her hock somehow. She was bleeding like anything. They'd found her. The woman was not capable she was able to put to send photos through to my vet, who analysed it. She was saying she felt. Then he said, "Look, you put a pad on it, pressure, blah blah blah, all the stuff." Uh, she said, "I feel sick. I can't do this." I thought I've got to get back home. I had to not panic. I had to drive as carefully as possible uh, because over time too, I've had two students who packed up, went home with pressure, and you see them tearing past you, uh, and then the horse has to balance, etc. He's got to, you know, oh, he's fine, but he's not fine. He's having a strenuous time trying to balance. So when he gets to the other end, then he gets goes to the stable or the yard or whatever. He's tense. Then he uh, sweats. They get colic. They get ulcers. People tend to talk about these things as though it's normal. And um, those trips home after a long day, uh, which impacts on the horse quite a bit. And horses don't travel well. Horses are not good travellers. Even the best of travellers does not enjoy it. And it's not something they do easily or well. And I find that with cornering, with everything, you need to drive with feel. You really do. And coming into light. Too, especially with a truck, they all get in front of you, etc., etc. Again, it's good for you to arrive home calm. Calm is always good yep. uh, for yourself, but the horse is the same. And if he can come home calmly, not sweating, I think you avoid a lot of the problems that go with the modern aspect yeah. that you yeah. tend to have. And yes, two people lost horses. Oh, that's not good. They drove fast. The horses came down and they were, you know, that's the top end of the scale. Both Mm. of those horses Mm. damaged themselves so much. And one was a particularly, you know, if you look at it that way, um, a particularly magnificent horse. He lost the best horse he ever had Mm. just Mm. because he drove home really fast, you know, which is sad. So I think that even if it takes a lot of, Mental discipline is um, because, as we say, stay calm, be efficient, and at least get home. 
Yes. Which yes. I think is a very good adage to have because mm. really you don't achieve much more tearing around. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's. I think those are things that a person has to allow for. Yep. You know, the kids are coming home, there's a this or that, and I know stuff can still happen. But I think the idea is ring someone uh, sure. or let the school know that you're, this is happening, would they? You know, there are solutions. Yep, mm. yep. Okay. All right, Anna, that's been great, talking about those 10 ways to use your lesson time effectively. Now, if people would like to contact you to talk a little bit more about that, we'll put your contact details on horsechats.com slash Anna O'Keppel 3, it is now. But do you want to just talk about them briefly, if someone's sort of there with the pen, ready to take down some details? Uh, I think I've got the email address, Mm -hmm. annaokeppel at gmail.com. That can be initial. But I think the best communication is a phone call where you can actually talk to someone directly because then you you can feel the situation much better in their questions, etc. And the two phone numbers are the mobile, which is 0407 942037 and the um, landline, which is 0246 And that one has a message bank if I don't get there before it stops ringing, and I will always ring back. And then um, if they wanted more details about how things work, there is the website, which is www.dreamfieldsequestrian.com.au. Wonderful. Anna, lovely to talk to you. And I am looking forward to our next interview. I'm sure that you would love to talk a bit more about life skills, particularly for horse riding competitors. You know, it's something we've sort of talked a little bit about off air, but something that I I know you've got a wealth of knowledge about and I know you're very passionate about. So I'm certainly looking forward to our next interview. And for the listeners, make sure you go back and listen to to Anna's other interviews. They're very thought-provoking and a lot of information there. Okay, so thank you, Anna. And thank you, Glennis, for the opportunity. And yes, I will look forward to that one as well. Thanks again, Glennis. That's okay. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.